Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. And hey, today, what do you get when you get a bunch of guys grouped together and with a common theme of, of hunting? <laughs> well, we have uh, a group of guys here we're going to talk about. Uh, talk with them today. My name is Roy Canterbury. I'm your host today on Arch Talk 101. And we have a group of guys here that have a passion of, of hunting and doing it together. So I'll let you guys introduce yourself. Uh, you know, start on whoever is on the right. Let's go ahead and introduce your name and tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm Ken Norman and um, I started this insanity uh, <laughs> back in 2011. Um, I was uh, born in uh, North uh, North Carolina, western part of North Carolina, and got my first bow when I was like nine years old and uh, upgraded in like 1980. A Christmas present was a Polar LTD, and that kind of planted the seed. I never killed a deer with it. I still had it. That's a to-do list item. And um, it was probably 2011. I got back into archery and killed my first deer and it was like a drug. I was addicted and I came to work, mm -hmm. told these guys about it and hounded them for about a year. And we got them bows and we got started. And you guys can introduce yourself. And so my name is Brad Goodman. Uh, we actually all work together um, at a local hospital. And so we, this guy kept yapping about hunting and hunting and hunting. And I grew up on a farm, but the city annexed it into the city limits there. And so we never really got to do a lot of hunting when I was growing up. And so he just kept yapping. He's like, I gotta warn you, it's gonna be addictive. And I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever. And here it is 10 years later, thousands of dollars, countless hours. And uh, he's exactly right. But uh, the thing about hunting for me is the story. He's actually sitting around like this in the banter of the deer camp talk. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I think that's, that's my big appeal to all of this. So. Uh, my name is uh, Travis Applegate. Uh, again, as Ken uh, deduced to that, uh, yes, he started this whole long journey that we've all been on. I, I hunted when I was a kid, and it was always rifle hunting. And again, uh, he just kept kind of hinting and dropping, you know, hey, you know, you have to need to get into bow hunting. And, you know, it's more of a challenge. So I came into this, like, zero knowledge, period. And... Once he uh, talked me into it, I got my, uh, a bow and I just shot it constantly, all the time, all the time. Lucky enough, I had enough of a yard that I was able to, to shoot it in and, and got consistent with it. And uh, there was a five-year journey of going into the woods and never shooting anything. But again, as Brad alluded to you know, just earlier, the, the stories that we have, during that time, it, it's been a tremendous journey, and we just celebrated this past uh, fall's ten years of us hunting together. And it's it's been a, a we've basically formed a brotherhood. Uh, we consider each other brothers. Uh, my kids call him uncle, even though we're not blood related. They they're still <laughs> uncle, and uncle Brad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, it's come full circle. These guys have come a long way. Mm. I'm gonna tell some stories on them now. That's all right. <laughs> when uh, when we went out on our first hunt with me and Brad, 
I, I took him in, I, I set him up a set of climbing sticks, I set up a, a, a hang on stand for him. And I said, okay, go up there, be careful. Here's a, here's a harness, make sure you're hooked in, blah, 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 blah. And I set him at the top of a ravine where you know there was a split coming down. Well, I come down to get him after about three or four hours. He's talking about how uncomfortable the seat was. He was sitting on the platform and using the seat as a headrest. <laughs> 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 I didn't know, and it made sense because the tree strap was nice and tight. I couldn't fall. He, he talked about practicing standing up very slowly and from the platform. I got to tell you, that's uh, that's a challenge. And so <laughs> you went from that to this year going to Missouri solo and killing himself a nice buck and coming back by himself. Travis shows up on the first trip. Mm -hmm. He's got a pack. He's probably got close to 100 pounds. There's firewood. There's a rope of like 50 feet of rope and all oh, this yeah. other stuff. And we're like, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need that. And he's graduated from that to this year on one hunt. He killed him a buck in the dome at one sit. Mm -hmm. So they've come a long, long way from, from there to here. They're doing great. Yeah. It's been a journey. Uh, been a lot of fun. A, uh, we definitely have a lot of story that we can, yeah. can tell uh, and uh, we're not sure uh, if we have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> so so ask, ask us some questions. And, and, you know, <laughs> well, uh, you kind of started out, you know, how, how you got started and uh, what, what has been the the uh, probably the most rewarding part of uh, starting your archery. Well, I, I think the whole process in itself is rewarding because when I started, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anybody to, to teach me. And it was, it was trial and error, trial and error. And it was very frustrating. And it, it took me probably, I don't know, a year, year and a half to get to the point where I could hit something past 20 yards. And, you know, started doing a lot of research on the internet and then, you know, bumping into people like yourself that was willing to help me out and um, tune the bow and, and get it all figured out. And then actually harvesting my first deer, killing my first deer. And uh, and it was just like, you know, this is great. I killed deer before with a rifle, but it was just like, you know, you can actually do this. And I, I find myself on this journey of making it more and more challenging by handicapping myself, um, going from, you know, compound to recurve, longbow, and then, you know, there's this thing out called uh, Frankenbow. Uh, I bought a, um, and this is probably my most rewarding thing I've ever done. I bought a, an old recurve bear youth bow from a lady in Florida off of eBay. I, I dremeled out the limb pockets, ordered me some recurve limbs, and put in some um, inner tube rubber to line the, the limb pockets, sanded down the recurve limbs to get them to fit, made a recurve bow out of this thing, got some cheap Walmart Wolverine arrows, ordered some brass inserts, fletched them myself with feathers, and practiced all summer with this bow. And then in the fall, I went into the woods and I, I killed a nice little six-pointer with it. And, and I carry around a piece of that six-pointer's time on my keychain because that was the biggest accomplishment because I did it all from scratch and did it myself. And if, I mean, I, I've listened to you. I know you've shot recurve with traditional before and trying to deer hunt with a recurve bow. 
is a feat in itself. But for me to go yeah. and, and build all that and and put it all together myself and then actually go out execute and, and kill a deer with it, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I've, I've accomplished something. Mm -hmm. I think the for me is archery is that that never ending. You, you keep learning and you, you see the tactics, you watch the YouTube videos and you try to put that into place. And each time I realize how little I knew or how, how terrible I was and how did I ever kill my first deer knowing all that stuff now. So being able just that, that journey through learning and experiences and, and still having to keep yeah, it's, it's the, the failures, the failures end up being some of your greatest successes <laughs> because you learn from Oh, yeah. You know, right. you go, you go back to the woods and you go to sit up and you go, okay, this didn't work. This happened last time. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go here. And, and your failures end up being what builds you to your success. Yeah, I would say just, uh, like you said, just trying different techniques. Um, you know, watching some of the other guys on YouTube um, and like ground hunting now is kind of something that's piqued my interest doing the stocking. Uh, the first year we went to Missouri, I, I wore a ghillie suit and ground hunted. And I saw plenty of deer, not any of them that I, I took, but they were still within close enough distance that, you know, if they were uh, of right size and point number of points and all that. But just that challenge itself right there was something that I found very interesting and I want to keep on, you know, trying to do that. Um, I guess just break away from the norm, you know, because a lot of people, I guess that's what kind of got us uh, started on a Facebook page because people that we work with, you know, they just thought, well, you guys just walk out in the woods, sit in a tree and shoot something. Well, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not like that at all. Believe me. And especially I found it uh, just going and hunting public something totally different because I grew up uh hunting on private land uh, I was fortunate enough I had family they had land and stuff and I was able to go and hunt so it was kind of that yeah just walk out from the back of the barn and go maybe 100 yards climb up a tree you know they had a box barn sit up in the box barn wait for the deer to come out because it's like clockwork with them sometimes and boom shot them okay climb back down and go get it and the first year that uh I hunted with these guys and, you know, as Ken alluded to earlier about my hundred pounds of gear that I took, <laughs> not to mention that 20 of the pounds was just my stand because yeah. I, oh, yeah. they called it my condo stand. I mean, this stand was huge. Side of this table, yeah, and, a giant uh, platform stand. I mean, it was a huge platform stand. So and we're hiking back into public land mountains. Oh yeah. This is a mile, mile and a half back <laughs> and 900 to a thousand yeah. foot elevation gain. Yeah, that was that was a very big learning experience for me. You go as light as you can. <laughs> uh, but getting back to as why we started our Facebook page was so that, and it started out small. I mean, we only had what maybe a hundred people yeah. following us, yeah. and most of that was family, coworkers, friends. You know, people we worked with, and it was just to kind of give them a little bit of an insight of what we do, mm -hmm. and. Now, I think I checked this morning and we're up to like 4,400, over 4,000 people that follow us now. And a lot of those are throughout the entire country and world. Uh, there's that one guy, 
uh, Gavin, is it? From Australia. Australia. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy from South Africa, I believe. Um, and we didn't think it would go like that. We just figured, oh, I want to show my friends what we do. And, uh, and we do uh, show, you know, not only just the hunting aspect, but even the off-season stuff. Um, you know, I have bought some land a few years ago and trying to get set up. It's it's coming along pretty good. And, and uh, so not only is it the hunting and uh, the archery part of it, it's 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 all the prep work too, the scouting that we do. And, uh, yeah, there's especially when Ken and I we went out to Missouri one spring. I think you two guys went out one spring mm -hmm. just to go scout and, and uh, find new areas. And I think that's why we enjoy it so much. It's never ending. It's always something new. Where, process. where we live is um, is pretty diverse. Out here where Travis lives and Brad lives, it's pretty flat. There's a lot of agriculture, um, and and it's it's easier to hunt over where I'm at at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Steep terrain, not much agriculture. So we get to to practice different techniques of how we hunt the deer. Because the way I'm going to go hunt a deer off the edge of a soybean field or a cornfield is not the way I'm going to hunt a deer back in the mountains on the you know, backside of a saddle, you know, working, working no. in a tunnel or a thermal. So it, what I learned from up there and what they learned from here, we share with each other. We both hunt in the same places and, and it expands, you know, what we can do. Um, you learn a lot, lot from that. So, and then we take a road trip to go to Missouri. Where's one year we did five states. He did Pennsylvania, New York. Mm -hmm. We did South Carolina, North Carolina, and Missouri. And, uh, and with all the different habitat, and, 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 and I know this is gonna be kicking a hornet's nest. Deer are not the same. You know, you go to the Midwest, hunting deer in the Midwest that aren't as pressured as they are in the Southeast where there's more hunters in the public land woods than there are deer. And I know that's kicking a hornet's nest. It's harder, it's harder mm -hmm. than it is to, to go out there and do that in the Midwest. It's it, it the thing that surprised me the most uh, when we went to Missouri uh, the first year to hunt. I have seen more deer in that first week in Missouri that we hunted than usually a lot of times. There's two or three years combined that I see here in North or in South Carolina, um, just because they they're they're easily spooked. Um, a lot more pressure. Yeah, there's a lot more pressure here. And there's a big yeah. difference between public and private. I think partly in some places, like in Missouri, where, where you have the antler restrictions, mm -hmm. you some deer have been exposed to hunters and they haven't had a, a, a true, you know, a very negative response. And so while it's not a great thing, I think maybe in the southeast that okay. you know, it brown us down, sometimes that mentality comes yeah. through. And so part of that I think is education, the antler restrictions is a, a great plus uh mm -hmm. yeah. I, I smelled this guy and i saw that guy in the tree and i walked by and he didn't shoot at me yeah. right so you know that antler restriction gives him two years to, to do that and not get killed where you're, you're here in the southeast where you don't have that you're like you gotta lose your spots right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, and i mean that's just the way it is and here, here's here's an example of what i'm talking about a uh, year before last in the state that killed 175,000 deer in South Carolina, right? Of that 175,000 deer, only 6,500 of them were 
fuel and pull the plane. So the, the pressure is, is real. So I love to hunt public land. If I, can, mm -hmm. if I can go out there, I'm not only competing with the deer, I'm competing with everybody else that wants to go there and try to kill a deer. And, and if I can go in there and be successful, then not only have I beat the deer, I beat everybody else that's trying to beat me to get to the deer. So I, I enjoy that aspect. Like I said, you're always trying to increase the challenge and make it a little harder. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I agree with that. It, uh, it's uh, uh, definitely a, a bigger challenge, I feel, on public land. Um, <clears throat> as Ken said, you're not you know, just out there you know, trying to get the deer, but just finding these hidey hole pockets that nobody else has possibly you know, yeah. discovered yet or been to, or I think you went, found a couple places this year where you're like, yeah. it looks like nobody's ever stepped foot here. Yeah. Um, it's about the effort. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I think we really enjoy uh, we're, we're the scouting way. part of it. Yeah. It's just going and seeing places and, um, and thinking, all right, well, because you're going in there cold, you have no idea. I mean, there might not be a deer within 10 miles, but until you get boots on the ground and I can tell you that Ken, you know, he works night shift. I work night shift. And sometimes it's two, three o'clock in the morning. I get a text message and it's an aerial view of this. <laughs> He's like, what do you think about this area? And I'm like, well, first off, where's that? <laughs> so, um, so that's another aspect that a lot of people don't know is how much time we just sit in front of the computer and just trying to find new places to go and thinking, you know, all right, well, you got this side, you know, southeastern ridge here. That's possibly where some deer might, you know, bed down during the day. It's cold. And, you know, just, and that was a lot of stuff that I've learned from Ken because, again, I grew up just hunting private land and go sit out there, wait for him to walk out and shoot him, bro. Hunting the public land is definitely a lot different. And Ken has really educated me and Brad and, and again, other people, you know, talking with people like you and uh, just people that we've met in Missouri, uh, the boys from um, Minnesota and uh, talking with them. You know, we've we've met a lot of great people along the way and, you know, we enjoy this journey. And they help us out. I mean, it's, it's just my wife calls it a cult. Bow hunting is a cult. So if you can walk up to a complete stranger in, in the mall and sit there and have a two-hour conversation with them talking about hunting and bows and archery in general, and it is true, and, and I'll say 99.9% of the time, it is a, a community where people are, are really friendly and willing to help you out and share information. And uh, the guys he was talking about in Minnesota, Dustin, they didn't get to go to Missouri this year, but they were drawn and got to hunt Iowa. So these guys that we've interacted with probably now for six years sends us maps and says hey here's where i've killed deer out of this this tree right here for the last four years if you guys are coming out that's a good place to set up mm -hmm. and sends us you know sends us all this information just to help us out because they know we're coming from out of state to missouri and they're coming from out of state to missouri but they're not going to be there this year. and it's just amazing how much people are willing to help each other and, and it doesn't seem like you find that in the, the rifle hunting community as much, you know. The bow hunting community seems a little bit a little tighter group of people. It seems. Mm -hmm. Well, like Donovan. Yeah, Donovan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. helped you out. Yeah, I mean, for us on the East Coast, we got people that are halfway across the country that 
make connections for us. So when we show up, they take us out and put us on places to hunt. Chris came out and helped us drag one time in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, another friend of ours out there in Missouri, helps puts us on some private land from time to time. And like Brad was saying, Brad shot a deer one year and he hops in his car, drives 40 minutes up to us and helps us drag a deer out. So well, my deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same place. Actually, that was a, a place that uh, I shot a doe. And of course, I'm like all excited. I'm texting these two guys, and it hasn't gotten dark yet. And, and I text my wife, and my wife's like, Well, why don't you just put another arrow in? Maybe another deer will come by. I'm like, Yeah, what's the happen? You know, what's the chance of that going to happen? Well, 20 minutes later, here comes a nice eight pointer and shoot him too. So it was, you know, those times that everybody just kind of helps out too because the doe we were able to find but the buck um he took off somewhere and i thought i got him good had good blood on the arrow and everything we, 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 trailed, him. we trailed him that night and then we went back the next day and trailed him probably for four hours he went in one direction i went the mm -hmm. other direction and we never could recover him i think it was a, i think it was a one long shot and mm -hmm. you know he, there's a chance he may have recovered from it but we weren't able to recover him there's a story before that, though, too. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of stories. We have lots of stories. Uh, like, we all have stories like that. Yeah, guys coming from the southeast that's used to, you know, warm weather, it gets down in the, you know, low, low 30s, we think it's cold. We get out there and we end up on a day where with the windshield, it's minus five, and somebody decides he's still going to go. And so we <laughs> take him. We had hand warmers, feet warmers, electric, whatever. It was, it was game time. It's a blizzard. The only people on the interstate on the way there were tractors and trailers. And we're questioning our sanity. And we go drop them off. And me and Travis go back and sit at the, the gas station and you know drink hot chocolate and stay warm and keep waiting for the phone to go off. Come get me. Come get me. Huh? Yeah, because Ken and I were taking bets on how long he's going to last out there. So we pulled up in the... The headlights, you could see the snow blowing sideways. It was a blizzard. Yeah. And it was just like, and the, the mother, I never blood trailed a deer in the snow. And so it was, <laughs> was it that easy? You weren't going to be moving. They, they was going to stop. And as soon as it did, <laughs> they started moving. And I ended up, uh, it was that, that evening. That evening. Right. Evening you got to and I still, it was, yeah, below zero, going to get the, uh, me and him recover the dough. But now we got to gut the dough in the temperature plus wind. So Ken, uh, Ken stepped up to the plate, and I appreciate it. He's like, listen, I can do this faster than you. Mm -hmm. I want you to get ready. I'm going to go gut it real quick. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm jumping back in the truck, warming up my hands because they're going to be freezing. And so uh, appreciate that. And <laughs> are we stopping at that or are we proceeding? We'll, we'll proceed. All right. All right. Another layer. <laughs> story after story after story. It's with minus five degrees and a blizzard going on outside. We're not going to process this deer outside in that weather. And we were coming back. So we really didn't want to wait for a low quality, quick process job, which we had run into. So it, it ended up being put in a cooler, carried into the hotel room, and processed in the bathtub. We sanitized everything, Clorox, brought everything down, but it's it's what we had to do. I mean, 
I didn't want to get frostbite and lose a finger trying to process the deer out in minus five degree weather with you know wind blowing too. So driving back to the day or the day after. Well, I actually do. Once we got the deer processed, we actually packed it up and everything. Then we put it on the top of the SUV so it'd be outside overnight so the meat would freeze because that's how cold it was. It's like, how are we gonna keep this meat cold? And we're like, we just throw it on top of the SUV. Nobody can get to it and put it in the cargo rack and it was frozen solid the next morning. Then we just put it in the cooler. Yeah. So like I said, we have tons of stories like that. So, so if you want to talk about archery, ask us some questions to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, situation what last year and uh these, these hunters were coming out of the woods we we're all talking actually you guys were talking to them about the uh deer sneezing yeah i heard a deer sneezing and uh so i went in the next morning and i hear i hear a sneeze and i looked around expecting to see a headlamp there's nothing around i said i wonder if that's the same one so here it comes it starts to get first light here he comes boom 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 Pop him, and he went probably 30 yards. This was, you know, first light, and uh, we didn't have any radios with us. We didn't have cell phones out there, they, no communications, and so we ended up bringing him back to the truck, and I was like, all right, what do I do now? So I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my tree stand on the corner of this cornfield, and I see this person walking around in the cornfield with an orange hat on. Just wondering around, wondering around. And I'm like, about where you were. It's like, it's just like prime time. This is like right after the sun. You know, sun's come up and been up, sun's been up for maybe an hour. And he's walking. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And then he walks in and I realize it's him. <laughs> he's coming to get me. And, and I, I'm thinking I'm going to you know, go help him get a deer or something. But it is, he's got the deer already in the bed of the truck. But <laughs> it's just, retrospectively, I, I would I would wait. If, if I, did, I, was, I was excited and I was going to share and um, yeah, my, my bad about that. That's actually, that's actually that deer. I don't know if it's on camera or not, but yeah. Yeah, it's it was, on there. So after uh, I did a European on him and actually found out there was, uh, was it, what kind of fly was that? Some kind of larva. Yeah. And ended up having like maggots in his nose. So that's what was causing the deer to sneeze was the fly got in there, laid eggs, and was agitating the nose, and that's actually why the deer ended up dying. So that was a uh, sneeze got him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a fun little story. So. Yeah, we all have kind of some stories like that. I know one time I was out, and uh, a friend of mine, he shot the deer, was on public property, and it come running out, and it died about five feet off of the road. You could just drive right up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like five feet away from where he'd pull right up on on the road is right by a dump station at the the campground and it just just clear throw it right in the truck that's awesome it's the best way i mean yeah. compared to when we hunt up at uh, landrum oh, i don't know what it is about the deer here but they always seem to run downhill on the opposite side of the mountain from where you park <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Uh, and they don't run to the truck here very often. They run the opposite way. I did have a good one that time with uh, with you guys. We were in uh, South Carolina on public and was setting up on a spot. It was kind of a bedding area. The wind was perfect. There was a ravine on one side, so they could only either come out my way or the back way. And um, ended up shooting the deer, spined it, unfortunately. And prior to this, it was either the day before, you had told me a story about some guy that had shot a deer six times or something like that oh yeah yeah it was on archery talk but some guy had shot this poor deer 
looked like a porcupine, <laughs> had so many hairs sticking out of it. But uh, I, I told him the story, and he's like, wow, that's, just, that's terrible. I have to do that. And the very next day, he's buying the deer. And so the deer, uh, unfortunately, was crawling back to the bedding area, which was behind me. And so she had come out, got shot, and she was crawling back in. And so she ends up at the base of my tree, and I, I shoot her again. And that was a fatal shot. And so at least it's ethical as you could, you know, fix that situation. And so I texted Ken, and uh, he said, well, I, said, I, sh I shot a note. He said, well, good. Did, did you see where she where she ran? I said, yeah. He texted, well, well, did, did you find her yet? Yeah. And he's like, I walked to this tree to go in, <laughs> and, and the deer is right, right at the base of this tree. I mean, <laughs> I, I killed him. He's climbing that out of the tree, so, and the deer is right at the base of the tree. So the same way you're, you're, you're thinking about the deer always runs away, there is one one time that the deer didn't. Yeah, there wasn't much tracking involved there. And that was that was the first time we ever packed a deer out, yeah. and uh, that was another learning experience and yeah, with the temperatures, yeah, uh, yeah. temperatures and everything, trying to get her out quick and uh, in the summertime heat. So, but uh, good time. Yeah. So we'll we we can talk about hunting stories all day long, and I know you I know you want to talk about, to talk about some archery stuff. So we can talk about the bows we shoot or or whatever you want. Yeah, we we can you know. Subjects are just kind of open. Whatever we do, each one is as you listen to some of them or watch some of them. They're they're all different because you know we're different people, and you know I I get that same thing you're saying. It you know if you're an archer, you're automatic friend, and you know I've talked to people in other countries, and and it's the same feeling over there. You like when I was talking to the guy in Serbia. If you listen to that one, you know it's, they're just they help each other out. You know that's mm -hmm. like you said. You know, archers, we're helping each other out no matter what it is. You know, we see a problem, uh, um, you know, you can help you out. And, you know, that's why I, I wear my instructor's patch on my 3D rig. Because if you're having a problem, you see the instructor patch, hey, ask me. Yeah, I'll help. You know, and I won't go up and say, hey, you're doing this wrong because yeah. there might be a reason why you're doing it. <laughs> Even though you might be. <laughs> Just stand back. But, but, <laughs> You know, if they're if they're struggling, then you can help them out. But uh, uh, you know, and and I've talked to several people who go to you know some of these uh, archery events, and you know that they finally talk to somebody that's really outstanding shooter, and is like, why didn't you talk to me earlier? Well, you were busy. It's like, hey, <laughs> if I'm competing, yeah, yeah, don't talk to me. But uh, you know, once I'm done, hey, <laughs> talk all you want. So kids, I love to get kids started archery. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, and that's why, you know, the Arch Talk 101 podcast, you know, 101, it's beginners. Uh, the Facebook group, Arch Talk 101 uh, Facebook group, as well as I own archtalk101.com. So, you know, it's it's all about helping beginners. You know, that's what I want to do is help help the new archer get started and get started, you know, with the least amount of hassles. You know, like I started, I had no no mentor, uh, just like you can. You say when when you started, you know, I started archery bow hunting, and the first time I actually had a shot at a deer, I didn't realize I had a good shot at it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it was like ten yards away. You know, it was it was the, the perfect shot. Later on, I figured out, oh, I could have shot that one. I I didn't know what I didn't know. And then, you know, you start off with, hey, I seen footprints in the ground. You know, that's why I started. Good day. I seen a footprint. That meant there was deer at one time. 
when it was wet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets what? Okay, I seen a deer. Great day. It might have been running in a field half a mile away, but I seen a deer. And then it gets down to where you know, okay, now now you're seeing deer. You know, most of the time out there, and now they're getting in shooting range. And then next thing you know, it's like okay, in certain areas that you go, you expect to see them. May not get a shot every time, but you know, you expect to see them. And you know, I, I found sometimes if it's a full moon. Yeah, you're wasting your time in the morning because <laughs> they've been out walking all night. You know, they're not yeah. getting up and moving. You know, I like it when there's no moon because then it's a little darker. There's they're not moving as much. You know, there's I know one time when I was walking out, there was snow on the ground and it was light enough. There's no leaves, anything on the trees. And, and my fiber optic pins, you know, generally when they quit glowing, it's time to quit. Yeah. You know, I don't have to look at my watch or anything because if my pins aren't glowing, I can't see anything anyway. And, you know, I found if I turn a light on, all I can see is pins. I can't see past them anyway. So right. I never bothered turning the light on. And this one that I'm I'm looking there, my pins aren't, they didn't stop glowing at all. And I found it's like, it's got to be, because it's, it looked light to me. Look at my watch. I'm an hour past shooting time. I walked out with no flashlight. It was so bright out. I didn't yeah. need a flashlight to go out. So I didn't realize that it got dark because it's just so bright from the moon. And, oh, yeah. you know. You know, those things, you know, you don't want to set an alarm on your phone because, you know, then then they start going off. And if, you know, if I've had times. If you're out in a place like way out in the mountains, like where there's no uh, light pollution from, you know, from like man-made light, that what you're talking about can happen like that because, you know, the sun goes down, it starts to get dark, but the moon comes up right about the same time. And your eyes adapt to it, and you don't realize that it's that late because you can still see just as well as you could, right? As the sun went down. Yeah, you yeah. You find yourself walking out without using the flashlight. Yeah, and I've had the opposite too. In the middle of the day, I have to turn the lights on my pins because I can't see them because the canopy is is so so much mm -hmm. that there's no sun getting in to light up my pins. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just kind of one of those you know weird things depending on time of year you're in and. You know, here in Nebraska, we, we start September 1st and go through December 31st. So we have all kinds of weathers from hot weather to cool weather to cold weather to blizzards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't generally go out in a blizzard. Um, <laughs> Good experience to do. <laughs> oh, I was ready when it was time. I, I, don't, I don't generally go out when it's raining either because it's hard to track. But one time the, the guy I was hunting with, uh, he uh, he wanted to go hunting. It was like, it's it's not a hard rain. It's just kind of more of a mist, but it's it's just kind of wet. And I said, I really want to go out. But I knew he's going to go out, sit in my stand, and kill a deer out of my tree stand. So I went anyway. Sure enough, I shot a deer out of my tree stand. Mm -hmm. And there's there's almost no blood trail because it's being washed away. It's not a pouring down, but it's you know enough that it there's no real blood trail. So I'm tracking it by footprints. And then, oh, yeah. and, and I, I saw so I'm tracking footprints in, in, through the field and into, there were some old railroad tracks that were gone and the trees alongside of it. And I track it in there and I found it, you know, so I went right up to us. I just watched his footprints. You mm -hmm. know, there's no blood trailing, it's footprints because right. it was that, that wet. And, you know, mm -hmm. then we drug it out, but, you know, it's. It, you, you know, use what time that you got to work with to recover them. It's not always, mm -hmm. it's not always blood, you know. It's right leaves or actual track in the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, but 
but it is it is it is a brotherhood like you say it's you can talk to a total freaking stranger about bow hunting and then boom all of a sudden your best friends sharing emails and fall rolls around and you're sending pictures of the deer you killed mm -hmm. each other yeah it's just like that i mean i've got people that i've never met in person but are friends with us on facebook that when fall shows up we start sending pictures of, of rubs and then you know eventually they're sending pictures of deer that they've killed and we're sending pictures of deer that we killed and you know, and it's always the invitation is always there. Hey, you guys should come up and hunt. Yeah, you know, I can put you on some good land, stuff like that. It's just it's just a brotherhood. It's it's a tight knit thing. Everybody, yeah, the archery loves it and wants to share it with everybody. But, yeah, there there's we all have you know cool stories and um, you know one of my memorable hunts was one morning at the sun's coming up as the frost forming on the bow and all the branches. And I'm seeing the sun reflect off of the, the tree branches. And on my way home, there's a, used to be a strip of evergreen trees along there, and they were all frosted over. And yeah, that was, that was just so cool. I remember that. And you know, you remember things like that. And I didn't even see a deer that day. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when I was a kid growing up, we, I mean, you'd go all all season and not see a, a deer. And then you know, you'd have a guy come in high school and say, Hey man, I saw a doe. Oh wow, you saw a doe. Where were you at? I'm not telling you because there just weren't any deer. You know, there weren't any deer back in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now the population is doing great. We have tons of deer. Of course, they're all the size of Labrador retrievers down here, but there's plenty of, there's plenty of deer. Um, but, yeah, there's just... They even have elk. <laughs> yeah, they elk now. We even have elk out on the East Coast, which is kind of cool. Not, they're hunting them in Kentucky, but they're not hunting them in North Carolina yet. So... This coming around. Yeah, they're supposed to be uh, setting up a lottery to uh, be able to apply, and, um, and I don't know how many people they're going to select. I don't know if it's fifty or hundred or whatever. Because I'm like, they brought the elk into North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, probably about fifteen years ago, and they said the first ten years we're not allowing anybody to hunt them, this and that, and then for after ten years we're going to just see how the population is doing and uh you go to Maggie Valley and there's yeah there are there's too. elk everywhere up there and uh so eventually because there's not enough predators around here big enough to be able to take down you know a full-size elk um because we don't have a wolf population here they say we don't have mountain lines okay. here but officially we don't have yeah officially lines. we don't but officially we don't it's legal to kill one <laughs> uh, so the, the only big predator here is is the black bear um mm -hmm. that we have on the east coast uh, which ken's uh hunted uh black bear you've hunted black bear i haven't gotten into that arena yet but uh ken's taking down one um the big thing now, since Ken bought some land, uh, our off-season targets are uh, uh, wild hogs, because he has a huge population up there where yeah. you're at now, and yeah, they're wreaking havoc. And so we're mm -hmm. gonna. I want to use a bow to take down some hogs, but he said the majority of the time they just come in at, no, night, yeah, at I, nighttime. So I we have to figure out something. I killed killed two this fall during the day with my bow, but. Um, most of the time they go nocturnal as soon as they realize there's any kind of threat they just go nocturnal and so i just 
it kind of kills it for hunting one bows. But, um, so now, when I was listening to your podcast, you were saying you were still hunting with some early 2000s PSCs. Is that still right. your primary, primary go-to? Yeah, yeah. The, the bow I hunt with is a 2001 PSC at, um, Carrera. And then my uh, second bow is a 2003 PSE um, uh, Scorpion. Okay. And, and then my recurve is a PSE. And then when I worked at uh, Cabela's, uh, they have, you know, returns of bows. So I managed to get a bear, uh, one of their snow camo ones. I forget which mile it was. I hadn't even set it up yet. But, you know, the, the returns, you know, there's, you know, the strings will be bad on them or there's some screws stripped out or something. So, you know, mm -hmm. I've had to fix all that. But, you know, I, I was a PSE dealer for a few years and I still shoot them and, and all my kids all shoot PSEs. We oh, haven't switched off PSE. That's what you're shooting. Now, I, would, I would imagine with your passion for archery, you can have <laughs> anything new off the shelf that's out there right now if you wanted it, but you continue to shoot those older model PSCs because? Well, they work good. Yeah. I can work on them myself. My yeah. bow press is an old Apple press, so I can still press them and work on them. Mm -hmm. um, I make my own strings. I've been making strings since, you know, I've become a PSC dealer and uh, since 2001. So I make my own strings and cables for it. And, and it, it just, you know, it works. You know, I don't need shorter axle axle bow that's harder to shoot i don't mm -hmm. need it to be faster uh, mm -hmm. the carrera is rated at 320 feet per second and that's a 2001 bow yep <laughs> they know exactly so, where i'm going with this question <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I i have a collection of martin onzas from like the 2011 or 2010s to 2012s i have six of them i've I, I want a, an Elite 35, and I've shot all kinds of bows out there, and I cannot find anything out there that I can shoot as good that is as forgiving as the that model year of Anza. It shoots, you know, 335 to 345, depending on which year that you get. And to me, for my, my draw length, my size, I can't find a better hunting bow out there i love that thing mm -hmm. i mean and it's I'm, I'm just as accurate as i can be with it and now you're, you're talking about a boat that's over 10 years old 12 years old is what they're sneaking up on and like you say why change it does exactly what it's supposed to do it does exactly what i asked of it i mean i did a video shooting a saltine cracker at 50 yards with one of them <laughs> so why 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 do I need to stop shooting that if I can do that? And it, with a 468 grain arrow, it blows right through any deer that I shoot at. So, I mean, the new bows, yeah, they're great, they're fantastic, but I haven't found anything that I can pick up and feel like I can go to the woods with and kill deer efficiently as I am with these things because I'm just comfortable. No, it's kind of like with me, I shoot the PSC uh, Stinger 3Gs. And these are 10, 11 years old because I got them right, yeah, right before. Yeah, you got the 2013 model. Yeah. Was it 13? Yeah. Um, and I still shoot it. That's what I've killed deer with. Um, I've killed deer in North Carolina, Missouri, uh, 
And I, I like that model so much because it's still a solid limb. I, I don't care for the split limbs. And, and that's just me. I, I just find it, it's more comfortable for me or I don't know. And it might just be the eye appearance of it. Uh, but for me to get into it, who had no idea what I would get into, you know, Ken was telling me, you know, just go to Bass Pro or Cabela's or somewhere and just put some bows in your hand, see what feels comfortable. And the best way that I can describe that to somebody else is like I prior to that, I played a lot of golf and it was kind of the same thing. I'd go and put golf clubs in my hands. And certain ones would feel right. And certain ones just didn't feel right or didn't have that uh, line of sight that I, you know, just felt good to me. Well, I just kept going around and put my hands on this PSE stinger. And I, I was like, this is it. And, and I wasn't going to go and spend a thousand dollars on a bow. And <clears throat> I didn't know if I'd be going to like it or not. Well, was it two years later? I bought a second one. Mm-hmm. And so I got two PSE stingers, solid limbs. And I can't imagine going to anything else. I feel comfortable with it. I'm confident with it. <clears throat> I'm taking down quite a few deer now with it. And uh, my wife, I've gotten my wife into shooting a bow now too. And she has a PSE. I can't remember what model it is, but it's like a youth women or yeah, youth women's model. Uh, I can't remember what which one it is, but <clears throat> and uh, so kind of like with you, you know, having your the archery one hundred and one. It's kind of like I'm going back and trying to teach my wife now, um, and it's it's interesting to see even how far I've come in shooting a bow from when I first started, uh, you know, because like just relearning all the, the first basic step of where, you know, you know, well, sorry, just to shoot the bow, <laughs> but uh, anchor point, you know, peak sight and lining your pins up and just, just that kind of stuff where now I just take it for granted. It just comes so natural now that I don't think about it. And that's why when I'm with my wife and I'm trying to teach her, it's like, I have to, kind of go back a little bit because I'm like okay how did I start and because it was almost like Ken teaching me I'm sure he's like yeah just teaching basic (laughs) stuff of you know anchor points and stop squeezing the grip yeah you know loose grip (laughs) have it in the groove and uh so in the now to take it another step we got my four-year-old daughter a little youth bow because uh, she had a toy bow for about a year and shooting around the house. So we finally, this past Christmas, we got her a actual bow. And uh, so once, uh, I think probably here in the next couple of weeks or so, she's been kind of playing with it, but I haven't like gotten into teaching her anything. It's just more or less, all right, put the arrow on the string, pull it back and let it go. And, uh, but hopefully, you know, Maybe we'll get her into that arena. I did get her into uh, blood trailing because I shot a, a couple of deer this year on our property and I got my daughter to blood trail with me. So that was cool. uh, very interesting. So here she is, you know, and at that time she wasn't even four yet. She was, oh gosh, what, 
three, almost four. She was a few months from being four, but she was out there with me and put my headlamp down where the blood was. I was like, all right, keep following the blood, keep following the blood. And she'd stop, Daddy, there's more. Daddy, there's more. And so <clears throat> it's those memories too that I'm starting to cherish is, uh, you know, with my kids. <clears throat> I got a ton of memories with these two guys, but now, you know, I'm starting another set with uh, with my kids. And I, I, I enjoy that part of it. What, what I enjoy <clears throat> is seeing what I taught him and him teach his wife and then him teach his kids. I love, I love to see that. It just, it just continues to generation through generation. And the, the beauty of it is, is that all the struggle, like you didn't have a mentor, I didn't have a mentor, and all the struggling that went on with learning it, they didn't have to do that. And now his wife doesn't have to do that, and his kids don't have to do that. Literally, each time. Yeah. Each, each person just passes it on, and it makes it easier for the new people coming into the sport. Yeah, and that that's you know that's that's why it's enjoyable to teach and you know kids they're just just so excited when they they draw that bow back and they shoot and you know let's not start off with a balloon you know and that balloon pops it's like oh that it's it get excited <laughs> i used to help out at, at a lot of the sports shows and they'd always have the one group always had uh, uh balloons for the kids to shoot so mm -hmm. i got pretty good at aiming for them you know because you know, they'll, they'll hold the bow, I hold their hand and they'll hold the string, I pull back and it got pretty good at aiming for them. And then when they let go, the balloon pops and now they're excited, they want to do it some more, I want to do it some more. You know, mm -hmm. I'd spend hours on my knees, you know, helping you know, <laughs> three, four or five year olds, you know, shooting. Right. And yeah. That was just a lot of fun. And I know my youngest, he, uh, um, he picked up archery and he just kind of went and went and went and he'd, you know, when I had the store, he'd come out and he'd shoot all day long. He had a whole pile of, you know, mismatched arrows, and he'd just get there and shoot and shoot and shoot, you know, for hours. He'd be over there. Yeah, I, I would uh, say that <clears throat> about the only time I don't shoot my bow is usually uh, January and February, um, and March is usually I'll start up again. I'll start practicing, and you know, I'll shoot at least two, three days a week. And I'm only shooting for maybe 15, 20 minutes. Just, and it, a lot of it's just keeping that muscle memory going. And, right. Uh, now, I did, I, was, I had all intentions. I even went and set up and everything because in North Carolina, we have what they call an urban archery hunt. And it runs from mid-January to mid-February. Uh, but went out there, set up stuff. But every opportunity I had to go, it was raining. We've had more rain this time of year than I've ever seen. It, it's it's crazy. It's it's the most rain I've seen in in years during January and February, which is a little odd. But uh, so I never even got to go out there and hunt. But uh, but yeah, usually because leading up to and during hunting season, I, I'm shooting my bow consistently, and just it's just one. Uh, another aspect of it is just staying on top of it and, and uh, efficiency. Yeah, yeah, efficiency. Uh, to me, again, I, I just take it back. Just muscle memory, um, where you don't even have to think about it. You know, you're, you're pulled back, so your whole focus is on. All right, you know, I'm, I'm wanting this deer to get to this angle so I can have this shot, and I'm not even thinking 
you know, when I'm pulling my bow back. You know, if, if you get to the point where when you're hunting and you shoot the deer and you don't remember drawing the bow, lining up the sights, you just remember the point of release, mm -hmm. then you've got that muscle memory. Yeah. Because it just becomes right. an extension of your body and the whole process is just muscle memory. And you're just, you just focus on that shot and executing that shot. Then that's because you've done that. Right. You, you've shot that bow over and over and over, and it's just an extension of yourself. And uh, before before we skip this, I gotta gotta give him a hard time. Archery <laughs> archery goes down two paths nowadays. <laughs> I'm in the de-evolution path. I'm I'm devolving. I'm working towards sticks and strings and going further and further into more difficult ways of getting the arrow to where I want it to be. The other path is technology and the latest and greatest that's out there to be purchased to get the arrow to hit the point that you're aiming at. Brad has taken that path. Tell, <laughs> tell me your rig. Tell them how your, your bow is set up in your sight and everything that you have. We've got a uh, PSE bow madness. And like Kim was saying, when you pick it up, it just feels right. And that was the same scenario there. Added the uh, Garmin sight. And the reason for that was, um, I, I haven't really hunted around a whole lot of fields before. So the one of the deer in Missouri, I ended up shooting it. And um, Ken's like, where's your stand at? And I was like, oh, it was right here. And uh, he's like, oh, I was like 40 yards. And I was like, no, I was like, that was like 30 yards. And I used my 30 yard pin. And just by the grace of God, somehow or another made a great shot on the, uh, on the animal. And so I realized that me judging distances uh, is not uh, accurate. You know, I have drawn my rings. I'm like, that's a, that's a, you know, that bush right there's 20. So, so that must be 40. And uh, Ken, Ken's able to uh, extrapolate and use a lot of intelligence. And I, uh, <laughs> um, which I think keeps the group entertaining. Um, but uh, so, so the Garmin was, was part the necessity for the, it ranges for him. Yes. So he holds yeah. it up but tells him tells him how far it is and it doesn't make a good shot or not but it does minimize your margin of error and, and i think i'm one of those people that need that you guys probably do not so. <laughs> well i i just finally got one of these a rangefinder last year and i hadn't even used it for deer yet i i took it out with you know we had where we was hunting it's it, it wasn't a spot we could do from archery. So uh, where they was coming through, we had to be back far enough so we might see them. And I was able to range, you know, where I we could see them on camera, they're coming out. But um, I just always, you know, learned how to judge the yardage. And, you know, what, what always gets people is this, well, when you're shooting downhill out of a tree or, or uphill, you know, you got to aim low. Well, no, you need to learn how to judge yardage. And mm -hmm. the easiest way to explain it is, all carpenters know a three, four, or five triangle that gives you a right angle. So uh, there was one time I was on the top of a hill, the trail was down at the bottom. I was in a ladder stand. So I was, you know, pretty high above the trail. And, you know, I knew that that was a 20 yard trail. It looked like it was 40 or 50 yards away because of the size of the air, because I was so far at the angle distance. Well, deer come out. I shot up for 20 and I got it because it was a 20 yard <laughs> shot. Mm -hmm. And and when you think about it, a lot of people, when you ask them, okay, let's say I am 
40 feet up from the trail. And the trail's 30 yards away from where I'm at base my tree. And then it's 50 yards down the other way. What do I shoot it for? Do I shoot it for 30, 40, 50? What do I shoot it for? A lot of will say, we'll shoot it for 50 because it's 50 yards away. Well, they just shot over it because it's shoot for 30. They don't realize that gravity works on the horizontal distance. So it traveled 30 yards. So it's going to drop for 30 yards, not for 50. And, you know, once once you understand that, then it's like, okay, I'm pointing uphill, but it's not the distance it is. You know, uphill, it's a little hard to judge that distance. Downhill, I always look, pick a tree on the trail and follow up and judge distance to the tree horizontal. Same thing when I draw. I draw back horizontal, get my anchor point because that is my form not dropping my arm and now mm -hmm. then i just start bending 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 down until my pin gets where i want it to go because that's that's the form mm -hmm. i always draw horizontal first and then bend down because otherwise you're trying to bend down it's it just doesn't work very well mm -hmm. um, when a really yeah. close that's really hard shot yeah. oh yeah the, the ones that are like inside of 10 yards right underneath you those are tough for your wife uh, yeah <laughs> yeah christy uh christy my wife she bonus as well she had a really nice buck come in and him and her constantly throwing darts at each other all season <laughs> over stuff she had this nice buck come in at six yards and she shot right over the top of his back but um not once, a couple times. Yeah, yeah, a couple <laughs> times. So they, they, they threw venom at each other. I love her. I love her to death. But uh, anyway, if my wife gets to see this, thank you for your support, honey, and let me spend all the time away from all. <laughs> She's very supportive. Um, what what I do uh, as a technique, especially when I'm hunting on public or somewhere that I haven't been before, as the sun starts to come up in the morning hunt, or as soon as I get set up in the tree stand in an afternoon hunt. I'll sit there and go, okay, that tree is 10 yards. That tree is 20 yards. And like Brad was talking about, I'll start, you know, in my mind, drawing that arc and everything around right. it and setting reference points. Mm -hmm. So when the deer comes, I don't have to sit there and try to figure out, it's like, okay, I know that tree is 20 yards. Boom. I don't have to go, well, how far away is that deer? So I'm in the center of the bullseye. And I'm I'm putting those rings out around me, 10, 20, 30 yards. And and just sit there all day and just memorize those landmarks. So when the time comes, because unlike some of the people when we first started this, who thought we just went to the woods and shot deer. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> when the time comes, there's usually just a few seconds, you know, that you have that shot window to pull that off. And you don't want to be sitting there trying to do the advanced calculus of, well, how far away is that? You know, da, da, da. you've been sitting there all day. You should already have that figured out. Especially right. You don't even know they're there. Mm -hmm. I had that happen a few times where I'm just sitting there, you know, and scanning and all of a sudden I look, boom, boom, there's you know, a deer right there. Yep. <laughs> no, no time to, to judge yardage. You got to know it. Right. Well, and like you, uh, you know, uh, just said that you got a range finder for this year. Well, I do that as soon as I get in my stand. I'm taking my range finder. All right, that tree's this, this tree's that. Boom, boom, boom. That way, and kind of the same thing. Then I'll memorize. I'll sit there. I kind of make it a game. All right, what tree was that again? You know, and that way, when the deer do come in, it's kind of almost the same thing as shooting your bow all the time. I don't have to think about it. It's almost like, all right, that, yeah, that one's 15 yards, and I'm just pulling back, and I'm just focusing on where I want to hit that deer, and. Uh, Ken, that's something that he's drilled in to my head over the years of, you know, pick a specific hair on that deer that you want to hit 
And that's what right. I did with those two deer that I shot back to back. For some reason, and these guys can tell you, first five years, I did not release an arrow. Well, I did release one arrow because I was walking in. You had a drought, a terrible drought of five years. Five years of nothing. And the first year I got my property, um, I went in December and shot a doe. And uh, two days later, I went back out there, shot another doe. So I was like, okay, well, this isn't too bad. Well, then we went to Missouri and same thing, shot a doe and 20 minutes later, shot a buck. And then this year, I was out there. And now this is on my property, shot a doe, 30 minutes later, shot an eight pointer. So it's like, I go through a drought, but I make up for it real quick. The karma's caught up with you. put in your time. So, because I still remember to this day, that year that you and I went out hunting, and it was in October, and you hadn't shot a deer yet. And Ken and I, uh, we're coming out of the woods. He's like, man, this sucks. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I haven't shot a deer yet. I look over at him like, really? We're having this conversation. <laughs> He's like, how do you do this? <laughs> he went years. I went like a month and a half. I was like having withdrawals. But we, yeah. all, we all have, uh, it's really weird you know, watching how we all pick places to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all have the same geographical location, but the spots that we pick to set up is is different. And I've, I've noticed this over our time together. I will go find the nastiest, thickest hole that I can get into. And might have a shot zone about that big. <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> right the tiny little hole looking right, in, right into a trail or right into a crossing. And I will sit there all day and I call it looking into the living room mm-hmm. because I'm looking I'm looking into a spot where it's no bigger than a living room or maybe smaller. And it I mean it'll drive me nuts after two or three days of doing that. But it's really, really thick and the shot opportunity is is very short. But because it's so thick, deer seem to, to be more active during the daylight hours because of that, right. that environment. They don't like to do that. They don't they don't hunt like They'll they'll go set up on more open areas with trails and creek crossings and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, and, and, and yeah. Some scrapes, rubs, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it's it's weird to watch people's personalities come into play with how how they hunt. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean that's just something that I've noticed between the three of us. And I, for me, it's uh, you know the terrain features are going to help maximize the chance that you're going to be the deer. But I think you're going to see a larger, higher caliber deer in that scenario. Versus for me, time is is so short. You know, oh, I'm kind of I'm looking at a little bit of volume aspect, not necessarily you know anything that comes by enemies, but um, that's kind of my rationale for picking some of those uh, kind of locations. And two, you know, go as far as you can comfortably that you can, you know, put the effort in to go a little farther away from the parking lot. <laughs> but hunting near the parking lot has yeah. succeeded. You know, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> a lot of times, they, I used to go with gut feeling. Um, we were out in Missouri, and we were doing our evening hunt. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we we go, we have quite a few different places in Missouri that we go to. 
And we, so we go to this one place and we're walking in and it's only what, 200 yards maybe yeah, from the parking lot. That's right there. Well, I just had, we had, the three of us were walking along and I got to see this path, you know, to my right. And I was like, and it looks pretty well used. I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm going to go check this out. And so they keep on going. And you guys are still hiking what, half a mile back there or something yeah, like that. Well, least, you can see the truck. You can see the yeah, truck. Yeah, when I was standing, I can see the, the truck in the parking lot. But I think that's what made it interesting to me because there was so much, looked like heavy movement through there. And then once I got back in there, I could see fresh rubs, fresh scrapes. And then as I'm standing there, standing on my back, bow in my hand, I'm looking around, you know, looking for a good tree. And I turn and there's two does standing there. So I'm like, well, I must be in a pretty good area. So I set up my stand, saw a couple more that night, uh, right before dark. Well, then the next morning, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go back to that spot. And I sat there not even an hour had a doe come out and I was going to take a shot on her. Well, next thing I know, here's something else coming. Well, here comes this big old eight pointer, which I call them Cyclops because it looked like one eyeball was totally jacked up. He got speared in the eye or something. Well, he comes out. So I'm like, all right, well, shoot him, shoot him, see blood go. He takes off. And so of course, texting these guys, Hey, just shot one. And Ken always gets a kick out of my excitement when I shoot something. <laughs> I don't, I, for some, I don't. I, I, it's kind of weird. It's like the little circuit rod pops. Yeah. My, <laughs> uh, so I'm texting them, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna go walk my 200 yards back to the truck, put my gear away, and I'm gonna go start blood trailing." Why well, as I get back out on the path, I see Ken coming. So we walk up to the truck and we're like, all right, well, let's go look for your deer. So I take him back to where the big blood pile was. And I'll let you take it from here. <laughs> and his enthusiasm, we start blood trailing the deer. We, we cross this deep ravine, come up the other side, right? Now, I'm, uh, before we do this, I'm standing at the base of this tree. I said, go to the last landmark that you saw this deer run by. Just go stand there and I'll come to you. So he goes down, he crosses a ravine, he goes over and he stands by this tree. And he is just like adamant that that was where the deer ran by this tree, ran by this tree right here. So I pick up the blood trail, cross the ravine, come up, turn left and go towards him. There's no blood, there's nothing. Go over there where he's at, we search, we search, we search, we search, we search. Nothing, can't find any blood. All right, well, I guess, you know, we'll have to just do a body search for this thing. We go back to the ravine. He goes down into the ravine, goes up on the other side. And I'm like, I'm going to turn right instead of left coming out of the ravine because it looked like there was a trail that went that way. Turned right, and there's blood. And the deer went to the right. It didn't turn left. It went to the right. And then it went out through there and into the field and then turned left way out into the field and ran up onto this hill. But the adrenaline was kicking. Mm -hmm. And what he remembered happening was not what really, really happened with the deer. But to get back to the to the parking lot scenario, we I, and I fall victim to this all the time. You, you always want to tell yourself, "I got to get further away, further away, further away." 
you know, the more I get away from the parking area, you know, the better chances are there's going to be deer because there's fewer people. Two years ago, it was it was a year he killed this deer in Missouri. Um, we had, we had hunted down on the edge of this oh, cut yeah, corn, yeah, yeah, cut on this cornfield, and there had been people coming in and out on this public land spot. It was getting a lot of pressure. And the night before, I'd gone and looked at this the arrow photo, and I was like, I'm going to go on the back side of this cut soybean field and sit on the edges because there's a pinch of CRP that comes to the cut soybean field. Well, when you go when you go out of state to hunt, you don't get a lot of sleep because you know you're constantly driving to, to public land places on right. day five and I'm tired and exhausted. We pull up to the parking spot and instead of walking all the way down the soybean field and coming around the back end and into the edge of the tree line, like a moron, I'm gonna cut straight through the CRP to go to that pitch point. I get maybe 75 yards inside the CRP, jump up this huge, huge eight pointer that's got a doe bedded down by a tiny little pond. And he, you know, she takes off running and he takes off after her. And those deer had been laying there by that little pond and that CRP less than 100 yards from the parking lot. Where everybody got out that morning and walked right past them, going <laughs> deep into the public land. Those deer were laying there listening to people get out of their truck and walk by. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, because I was tired, I bumped them up out of there, but I'd gone all the way around and set up and had a chance to maybe get them up when they walked out of here in the evening. But the, the moral of the story is, is hunt the deer where they are, not where you want them to be. Yeah. Well, the, the going back to that story of, you know, I shot that buck that was 200 yards from the parking lot. I learned a lot that day because we, and I ended up, I believe what happened is I hit him high in the shoulder and we tracked him for what, over two miles yeah. and never found him. But one, it was a good, very good learning experience for me. And like you said, it's good for you. Just tracking, I mean, there was times we were just finding little drops of blood and we were almost like leapfrogging each other. Just so that we would you know, stay on it, but uh, we found some good bedding areas. We found that one that yeah. it looked yeah. like. I mean, we called that the buck nest because yeah. it it looked like a nest. It looked like you know there's a bunch of all branches and trees and everything that was hollowed out underneath there, and there was deer hair in there. You could tell we there was a big buck there. that that used that that nest, and we learned a lot from that. Um, mm -hmm. Deer don't run in a straight line. Deer know where people walk. Deer know where people won't go. This this deer made two 90-degree turns, perfect 90-degree turns. And each 90-degree turn took him into thicker cover. And then as he came out of that cover, he made a 90-degree turn that took him across the RP and put him back into the thicker cover where we found that, that buck nest. Mm -hmm. And in his entire route, it was not the shortest path. Mm -mm. It was not the shortest path at all. His entire route kept him away from where people could see him and from where people walked and where he knew people would be. And, and that was it. I mean, that was a huge learning experience. It was like, you know, they, they know where people travel and they will get themselves away from that or put themselves in a position where they can watch it. 
and see you come in and out and know when it's safe to move. They're 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 a lot smarter than people give them credit for. And the thing that when we found that area, it wasn't a huge area where where he was living and bedding, but it was it was safe, it was logical, the wind was you know played in perfectly, it made sense generation after generation. A little pocket. Yeah, and same thing all surrounded by CRP, and there was just this little pocket there that he he could he had definite range of seeing oh, yeah. in all directions. So southwest, southwest wind coming up over the top mm -hmm. of the hill, rolling in, so he could see anything coming from the east and the south, and he could smell anything behind him coming over the hill from the southwest. Because you crawled in there and actually lay down in the bed just to kind of see, you know, this makes sense. This is why. Here, here, every time. It was bulletproof. It was a bulletproof place for a deer to bed. You know, just it'd be impossible to try to get there and get them. Yeah, you'd have to get them going in or coming out because mm -hmm. there's no way of, and you'd have to do it uh, by ground too. Yeah, because there's no trees. And, and, that, and that's a lot of things. A lot of nine hunters don't understand that the that all of a buck has to do to never get killed by a hunter is just don't get up until it's dark. Just mm -hmm. don't don't get up until it's dark. You know, if you if he lays there in his bed and waits until the sun goes down and gets up, he'll never get shot by a legal hunter. It's that simple. And how many times have you jumped a deer walking through the woods and you try and you're looking like that makes sense? Why it's there? But for me, I can't see that. I can't plot that out and say, you know, given this wind, you know, a deer should be here. You're real good about that about scouting and being able to do that. But so many times after the fact, I'm like. Light bulb, yeah, that makes complete sense. But we, but we keep building on everything that we've learned uh, yeah. over the years. Uh, we definitely share notes. Uh, the thing that worked for you was uh, shaking the hell out of the tree. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's worked out several times. Yeah. Uh, Brad, well, I'll let you tell it when this was in Missouri, wasn't it? Uh, it's happened in a couple places, uh, not so much in the southeast, but the, the ground noise, and you you had an experience, too, to piggyback off all this. Mm -hmm. He had a buck coming in and was grunting, was doing all the right things, and the buck just didn't want to buy it. Dropped your phone, yeah. buck came over, ended up uh, getting shot. And so I'd heard these kind of stories and videos and THP and, you know, everybody, you know, make it as real as possible. So uh, this past year, I was hunting an area and uh, got out my grunt, did a little grunt, did a little rattle shook the tree right next to me and I mean just with I couldn't even put the rattle down before the buck was straight into me and uh so he ended up you know coming around behind me in this little creek and then came back out and uh, brought him home and uh but it's the uh, the thawing of the ground the the scraping of the tree mm -hmm. the the making it as real as possible well have you, have you ever watched bucks far really go at it it's not just grunting and clacking of antlers. I mean, they are making a racket. They're kicking the leaves up. They're bumping into bushes. They're making all kinds of noise. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially here on the East Coast, where there's a ton of pressure on public land hunting deer, they hear that grunt call and just that grunt call, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's you know, that's Bobby over in a tree on that ridge. They have to fall. They'll go over there, you know, <laughs> because they know when there's really there's really sparring going on that." You know, they'll hear leaves and grunting and clacking of antlers and yeah, snapping of branches. Yeah, and all of that. They'll, they'll hear the, the full thing. It's uh, you, you got to sell it. You know, they, they get right. smart. And it, 
that's the sad part. And I, I got sucked into it too when I first got into the bow hunting aspect is, you know, there's so many gimmicks that, you know, that people are selling in the stores that, you know, oh, buy this, this will get deer and blah, blah, blah. And uh, when I got my buck this year, it was the first time that I've ever had a grunt to per se kind of work here in the Southeast. Uh, prior to that, you, like Ken said, you know, as soon as you blow on that thing, deer are going the opposite way. They're not even coming close to you. But this year, I think it was just because it was during the rut. And uh, I had nothing to lose. It was like, well, I may as well try it out. Because he was still far enough away that I didn't have a shot on him. But I was like, well, we'll give it a shot. And I actually grunted and he responded to it. And that's the first time I've ever seen a grunt tube work. Um, now in Missouri, it works a little bit more. But again, it has to usually be during the rut, and uh, just there's times when to use those those uh, I guess I call them tools. Um, but the majority of the time, if you can just do where it's natural, you know, like you know, rattling the trees or scraping the ground and stuff like that, uh, just making stuff sound what was actually going on in the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you said one time that you were making all kinds of noise setting up your stand, and next thing you know, there was a deer that came in mm-hmm. to investigate what was going on. And like, what's all this noise going on? You know, and uh, so I think you can sometimes go overboard with. And like I said, I I succumbed to it, you know, in the beginning years of my archery uh, seasons and stuff. Where oh, let me buy this. This will work. Or let me go get that, or I've seen this on TV, or I think we all have closet stuff like that. Yeah, the <laughs> majority of the time, it like, comes out, it never comes out because I rather uh, use what's out there in nature. Like sometimes I'll just grab a bunch of sticks and take it up into the stand with me, and once in a while I'll just start throwing sticks on the ground just to make it sound like something something's natural out there. Uh, Anything that it might be a possibility to help, I'm going to try it out. You know, like I hunt it on the ground in a ghillie suit. And I had deer close enough. I come close enough to me that I could hear them breathing. And that was the, the exciting part for me right there. Just like, oh, my gosh, I can hear these deer. It's no more than 10 yards away from me. I'm on the same level as that deer is. And I'm watching them breathe. And, you know, you can see their eyes real close. And man, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a video I'll, I'll send you from this fall. Um, I killed a, a deer way back in some public land and ended up having to pack him out because I was something so these guys were doing their own thing, they couldn't help me. And uh, I was so so far back when I had this thing packaged up and in my pack had his head strapped onto the back of the pack and everything. I'm, I'm getting ready to go and I hear something and I turn around and there's a six pointer standing there looking at me and he's probably <laughs> 25 yards away. So I get my phone out and this, this little buck, he circles up above me, walks around, comes down, goes around the tree. He ends up probably within 10 yards of me. I got it all on video and he's just curious of like what I am and what's going on with that deer head on that pack and he's just kind of hanging around and it's because 
where where I was hunting, it was a lot of hikers. So the deer used to seeing hikers on the trail, on the path. But here's right. this in the woods next to a deer, next to a deer, and he's just he's just absolutely curious on what's going on there. Now, granted, it was a lot of effort to get there to where the deer were that comfortable with the person. <laughs> <laughs> This is put it this way. It's not a place that I would ever consider shooting a doe and trying to get her out. <laughs> it is uh, it's like um, Remy Warren calls uh, the the suffering. It's part of the challenge is, is the suffering that makes it more rewarding when you when you accomplish it when you when you achieve your goal. And um, I think I fall victim to that. You know, it's like I'm I'm always like, hey, one more ridge over, guys. Let's go one more ridge over, <laughs> a little, little bit further in there. Let's go a little further. He's like, hey, we're four not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Travis is on the parking lot, and I'm hunting three states back. But <laughs> so it's been a rewarding uh, journey, and it's not over yet. It's you know, each year mm -hmm. you evolve and you figure out what little things, and you learn from other people, or each other hunter, and what's working for them and what can you glean and uh that's what i like there's not a finish line there's always um push goal. yeah push mm -hmm. harder go a little farther don't go a little farther learn more uh, it's that never-ending increase the challenge mm -hmm. yeah yeah go, tra go traditional <laughs> get a rebirth fellas uh, yeah <laughs> anyway, let's go farther <laughs> Make your own redwood bow, you know, yeah. your red oak bow. All those things you can make it a little harder, a little more challenging. Oh, it's, yeah. it's all archery, you know, like you was alluding to earlier, you know, a, a stick with a string flame, another stick, that's archery. Mm -hmm. And what form it takes is up to you, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it's and, just it's just all personal journey. And 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 that's that's what's nice about it is we can take it wherever we want to go. Right. And it's 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 almost like it's ingrained in our DNA, and I don't want to sound too hokey saying this, but I, I found a couple of arrowheads at ladder points while I was out hunting before. You know, when you reach down and you pick that up and you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, this was right around the last ice age, you know, eight, 9,000 years ago. It's when some guy slung this at something with his at ladder. And he was out here on the same patch of dirt that I'm on. Now, he was shooting at a completely different animal than I'm out here hunting, but he was doing the same thing that I'm doing on the same patch of earth eight to 9,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like we're wired to do it. You know, it's like we're, we're supposed to be hunting. We're, we're, it's in our DNA to go out there and do that. And when you accomplish it and you're you know, standing there over your deer that you killed, it's... You know, there's a level of success and a, a feeling of accomplishment that it's uh, it's organic. It's, well, not, it's natural. It's almost it's like a, a, a feeling of self-reliance. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. have to say, you know, dang, I got to go to the grocery store and get some meat. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know, to have what I have or want. Um, well, it was like the deer I got this year. The day I, and I'm, and this is on my own property where I'm being kind of picky. I'm not just going out there and shoot whatever I want because I'm, I'm trying to manage it to a point that when my kids do get old enough and I take them out there, it's like, all right, shoot whatever you want because there's plenty of it, plenty of deer right. out here. Uh, but this year, my wife 
you know, it was uh, middle of November, and as I'm getting ready to walk out the door, my wife's like, just shoot something. We need meat in the freezer. Okay, I'll shoot something. <laughs> so it's nice that, like you said, it's kind of in our DNA, but it's also nice now that, you know, the way the world is going, it's having that, I guess, security asset, security, you know, something there that if something happened where, you know, the supply chains and all that, you know what, I can go out in my backyard and go down in my woods and I can supply food for my family. And that's something that, you know, I've tried to uh, get across to other people, you know, that I don't want to call them, you know, PETA, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, how can you go out there and shoot an animal? Well, it's not just going out there and shooting an animal. It's going out there and providing food for my family. This is what we eat. You know, it's not just a sport. It's, nature know, it's, it's, it's what, you know, I, if I don't intend to eat it, I don't shoot it. Mm -hmm. You know, right. coyote, coyote or a hog. Yeah. You know, we're going to shoot those just because uh, here, definitely in the Southeast, we are overrun with coyotes down here. And, uh, but that's how I, look at it is it's it's a self-reliance thing now and um and as my kids get older and same thing with my wife you know more people i can help and and uh get them to that point where they're efficient uh a hunter and stuff like that that's just more people that's living under my roof that we can go out and even get more food uh, right so that's why that's why i hunt or one of the aspects of why I hunt, but the other aspect of is, you know, just hanging out with these guys. And unfortunately, our lives this past season has been totally crazy. And so uh, none of us got to hunt. Well, you two guys hunted together a few times, but I just never had the opportunity with uh, being able to get over this way to hunt. And, uh, but we're definitely on the list to go to Missouri again this year. So yes, we are. <laughs> Glad you brought that up. Yes. Glad you brought that up. And um, just to segue, you were talking about your why and your why. I've actually got a different why, um, and all these are good reasons. I like the challenge. The the you don't have that that say everything in life has got validation and safety mm -hmm. features, and you can go out there and you know set up your tree stand wrong, and there's consequences. Mm -hmm. You can do everything. Right and get a deer a, a wonderful deer you can do everything right and come home with nothing and so i like the the not risk but the uncertainty the, yeah the uncertainty that you know first time hunter can bag you know a, a one whatever and so that's uh, everybody's got a little different why and so hopefully one of those will resonate with your audience or even honey to go out and scout absolutely yeah, yeah. you know I, I almost got bit by a rattlesnake um going out to scout and i was by myself because mm -hmm. i think both of you guys were working and uh i was going out there and i actually have it on videotape of me jumping over this rattlesnake now i'd already walked by it because i went to go set up a camera i was kind of doing this filming segment of me going to pull in so i i messed with my camera i go set it up and as i turn around to walk back there's this rattlesnake laid right out. I'm like, oh my, and I'm jumping. I mean, it shows me jumping and saying a few explicit words. And 
so the thing is where i was at we're two hours from yeah uh, a hospital that would have been able to handle me so i was probably going to call in for my own airlift out myself <laughs> because uh i was like all right these are my coordinates send the helicopter here yeah we, we got a few rattlesnake copper stories no matter how tired you are or how sleepy you are that'll that yeah, get you awake, get you moving. Um, yeah, <laughs> I definitely hiked up that mountain, no problem that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was the middle of July too, so it was adrenaline pop. Yes. Right um, but Brad was alluding to um, the uncertainty of it. I think, I think all hunters and even people that fish, fishermen, mm -hmm. are at at their core optimist. Because if you say, okay, especially bow hunters, here's a bow, there's 14,000 acres of public land, and you have a 30-yard circle that you're going to sit in the center of to try to kill a deer. I mean, the odds of that is just ridiculous. So you have to be an optimist yeah. to say, I'm going to spend all of this money, all of this time, and all of this physical effort. To go out there and try to accomplish this, you know, this task when it's just it's just overwhelming when you, you look at the sheer because all the deer has to do is go, I want to turn left yeah. instead of going right like he's gone for the last three weeks, or something scares him and he runs the other way. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to keep going back and doing that, I think at your core you have to be an optimist mm -hmm. to think that, well, today's the day, today's the day, today's the day. Because if it wasn't, after five years, you'd stay home. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's just being outside, too, or being in the woods, being in nature. I I, I love that more than anything. Just just getting out there and seeing new ground, new territory. Like Ken said, he went to a spot that probably nobody's walked on for probably a thousand years. Uh, and I think that's why I like about it, too. New new areas when we go to Missouri and uh, planning stuff out, scouting those areas. It's I just I enjoy that probably just as much as I do sitting in a tree waiting for a deer. Uh, it's I don't know it, it, I, it, I, I plus it's such a detachment from our jobs that we do. Yeah. Um, our jobs sometimes we're in high stress situations and you know it's definitely a a release from that and not even have to think about that mm -hmm. disconnecting from society i guess if you want to call it that and just being out in in nature mm -hmm. uh, that's probably what i enjoy the most out of of everything um i enjoy the the scout he's talking about scouting i enjoy looking at google earth and a topo map for hours on end and say okay this this should be a place that a deer should bed, you know, and it could be Missouri, a ha half a country away from us, and then go out there, scout it. And I actually did this with a spot. There was this particular spot that I was looking at for about three years. And we finally get out there and we go to hunt it. And I walked to this spot that I had put a pin on Google Earth and said, there will be a buck bed right there. And I walked in there and there was the biggest, nastiest buck bed with rubs everywhere. And I mean, just that right there was just as big accomplishment of, of, of killing a big deer 
is that, you know, I, I read the sign, I looked at the topo, I looked at, you know, the area, and I'm like, there should be a deer right here. If I was a deer, a deer would be right here. And you drive halfway across the country, walk into that spot, and what you thought would happen has actually happened. And then there's times it's totally opposite. Yeah, there's times you walk in they're not going to be here. Yeah, you walk in there and some homeless guy laying there. Yeah. <laughs> I would say to be a proficient, successful bow hunter, you have to be willing to put in time. Mm -hmm. You know, time practicing your bow, time putting in the scouting, time, you know, just going to different places, putting, as I call it, boots on the ground. Uh, it's not that you're just going to walk out and sit in a tree and shoot something, you know, on that uh, first time you go out there. Uh, there are people that do it. Yeah, there's some people that do it, but uh, but I have to say that I didn't know when I first started this journey with these two guys and getting into bow hunting that, you know, at first it's like, man, there's so much to learn. And there is, but you have to be willing to put forth the time and, and effort and energy into it or else you're not going to be successful. And I'm thinking maybe those first five years, the reason why I didn't is because I was just learning. I was still learning a, a new way of hunting. It wasn't I didn't know how to hunt. It was just a totally different way than what I was brought up and raised of how to hunt, you know. And now that, you know, it's been 10 years that we've all been hunting together, it's like I almost have like an encyclopedia full of knowledge in my head now that I've learned. And I'm continuing to learn. There's not going to be a day where I say, well, I know everything about bow hunting. It's never going to happen. And because you're always going to learn something new by talking to different people and, and just asking questions, you know, like a big topic that I think we talked about like last year was uh, what kind of broadheads are we using? You know, I use fixed, they use mechanicals. You know, what's your opinion on that? What's my opinion? Why I use fixed blades? Uh, and, you know, that's the benefit of hunting in a group with a group of guys mm -hmm. is that you know we can learn from each other's success and each other's failures um you know so some of us like my big thing is is tuning the bow the arrows and you know momentum kinetic energy all that stuff i'm not i'm no ranch fairy guy i'm not going to throw a 800 grain arrow out there but mm -hmm. my big thing is, is is the bow and the tuning and and that that is what i, I put a lot of energy in along with scouting and stuff you know, Brad's kind of the, the latest and greatest gear that's out there and things that are coming up. He'll say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, and he'll get it and he'll try it and we'll see if it works or not. And then Travis is out there. He's, he's checking out property on the eastern part of North Carolina and constantly looking for new ideas. And we're sending videos of other people hunting back and forth. And if we see something that works, we share it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just one person trying to, to learn you know, new techniques and get better as a hunter. It's all three of us working together, and we all we all gain from each other's success. And not only are we learning off of each other, then I might talk to somebody and learn something from this person. And guess what? I'm sharing with these two guys. Yeah. Hey, this guy's right. telling me this and learning this, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And so I talked to these guys. You know, they've gotten into the saddle hunting over the last two seasons now. I think yeah. it is, and. So I haven't jumped into that arena yet either, but 
I'm kind of like one of the persons that I like to sit back and see how things work out, see if they uh, <laughs> like the person. <laughs> So, um, but now that I've seen, you know, they've hunted with saddles for two years now. I know they both sit on a saddle. Yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, that was a no-brainer for me. Uh, so that's another thing, you know, saddle hunting. Um, but like I, I mentioned earlier, I, I'm kind of getting into the still hunt, you know, hunting on the ground and stuff. And a lot of that is watching, you know, the, the THP guys, you know, they, they do the, the ground hunting and uh, I don't think Zach has been in a tree stand for I don't know, four years, something like that, I'm guessing. Uh, so it's just new techniques and new strategies that um, I'm willing to try out and just, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, I can always go back and hop in a tree stand. Again. Right. Um, like Brad said, it's always evolving. It's mm -hmm. always evolving. When we started out, our gear was anywhere between 25 and 30 pounds mm -hmm. with our, our tree stands, our sticks and everything, right? Mm -hmm. With the saddles, one stick or two sticks and um, some aiders, I'm down to like nine pounds with the platform and everything, just nine pounds. And I can go in the woods way back in public and set up and hunt and do my thing. So it's it's a constant state of evolution you never you never get to the finish line and say i'm here i'm done and this is how it's going to be from now on unless you find the perfect buck like what you're talking about <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, i i have a you know ground hunting i was i was hunting his property and i seen this deer bedded along uh the, the farmers like there was a little road run there and a little little patch of grass running along the uh, the side of the road and so I took off my boots, got my socks on, and I'm sneaking up, and I'm on my ground, you know, ground, belly crawling up to this deer. And I get there, and I realize I can't shoot it if I wanted to because one, the cover is gone now. The cover is only about a foot high. I can't kneel up because it's only five feet away from me, and I got my bow in my hand, but I can't shoot it. <laughs> Take the arrow out. Yeah. <laughs> Like that was, if a crossbow, I could have done it, but you know, because I could have shot it that close. But at that close, uh, I I managed to get up that close to it, and it's like, cool. Now what do I do? So I just kind of back back out because I didn't want to spook it. <laughs> Did you get out without busting it? Yeah, yeah, I, I managed to get out, but you know, just it took a long time. But you know, I'm a little bit at a time. I think I probably spent an hour getting this. 20 yards to this deer <laughs> <laughs> but that's the challenge that i like is you know getting yourself in some kind of situations that now you, when you're doing it you're like man i mean your mind is just just like scrambling how am i going to do this how am i going to you know, stay quiet how am i going to you know stay uh downwind from them and you know stuff like that and then after you actually accomplish it and we come back then you're like oh my Gosh, that was an adventure. That was actually kind of fun. You know, I want to do yeah. it again. And uh, and then come back and tell these guys, hey guys, this is what I did. You know, uh, so we're, you know, that's something that I think that we all enjoy is, you know, like we said earlier, telling stories uh, is saying, hey, this worked for me. Um, and then hearing, you know, when Brad talked about rattling the trees, stuff like that, and it's like, all right, well, that's another thing I can think about doing. Uh, 
Still, I, I don't know. I don't know if they even touched the alarms. There's always stories. Like I said, uh, 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 yeah. Who you talk for six hours? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I know that the one thing I hadn't practiced is practice shooting sitting down. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. You know, if I could have just sat up, I might have been able to shoot, but I'd never shot from sitting down on the ground. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, that's something that, you know, what position are you going to be in? You know, can we shoot from there? You know, like twisting our way or way around to shoot. You know, have we shot from that position? And, uh, you know, that was, that's not went into practice. What you're talking about there is one of the reasons that I, I stay with mechanicals because. When, you, when you're in a tree stand, especially with a saddle, it's hard to keep that form perfect, you know, like the, right. the, the deer that I killed that I packed out, it was back here behind me. And it looked like I was in Circus Soleil the way I was hanging off the tree in that saddle, shooting behind me to make this shot on this deer that was downhill below me. Now, if I've been using a fixed blade broadhead, I'm sure my form was out of whack. And I know that I slightly torqued the boat when I made the shot. Right. But Shooting, shooting on the range is one thing, but, and Bill Winky talks about this, it's one of the reasons he, he still shoots mechanicals, is that, you know, there's, there's shooting 3D and there's shooting on the range and then there's bow hunting. The deer's never going to be in front of you, your, your legs are never going to be perfect, your shoulders are never going to be perfect, you're, you're, you're never going to have that perfect T. And there's always going to be, you know, the adrenaline associated with it. So we need something that's a little more forgiving. And I'm right. nowhere near, I'm nowhere near the bow hunter that Bill Winky is. So I shoot mechanicals too because my form is not going to be perfect at that, you know, at that moment when I need to make that shot. And 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 when I'm shooting backwards and hanging off the side of the hill, and I've got just a really short period of time to make that shot happen, I need all the forgiving that I can get. Mm -hmm. with the mechanical and i mean and the other side of that is is the reliability of a, a fixed plate and the penetration of a fixed plate and people people want to stick with that so it's a double-edged sword you know you, you you get the forgiveness of the mechanical but you get the reliability of the fixed well i i guess i like the fixed blade um kind of like you said it's the reliability um plus both the deer i shot this year i mean i blew right through their shoulders and it just kept on rolling. That's whereas the mechanical sometimes it'll deflect or you know when those blades pop out. You know if you get a good clean shot through, yeah, you got a gaping exit wound, mm -hmm. and that is is great for blood trail. Where you know fixed blade, you know because mine mine is what maybe You're an inch, inch and a quarter, inch and a quarter, something like that. So I'm not going to have a, a huge blood trail. But I know that when my blade does or my arrow does go through them, it's got a lot more energy and it's it's busting up stuff. And like the doe that I shot, she went maybe not even 30 yards. And the buck I shot, he went maybe 50 yards from where I shot him at. Because it just blew right through um, the shoulders, both lungs, the heart, and the other side. And it and it just kept on going. And that's kind of the reason why mm -hmm. I like fixed blades. Yeah. I don't have any it's mechanicals. I mean, these guys, they've been very successful with them. I've yeah. seen other people use them, been very successful. Well, there's there's a time and a place. Like I right. I'm gonna tout myself here. Um 
I was the first person in North America to shoot an Asian water buffalo with a VPA broadhead. It's my claim to fame. I used a two-blade uh, solid steel VPA broadhead. And the reason I used that fixed broadhead is because I was shooting an Asian water buffalo. I mean, it's right. you're, you're talking about a tank on four legs. And I, I needed that, that heavy aerial and I needed that indestructible broadhead. And it was basically a sharp chisel. That's what it was. I'm hot. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It went through this shoulder, just behind this shoulder, and there was 10 inches of it sticking out on the other side as the thing turned around away. So, yeah, there's a place. Mm -hmm. I, I will say there's definitely a place for it. And and with the mechanicals, you're you're restricted to a broadside or a slightly quartering away shot for it to work. You definitely don't want to get anywhere near any of those big bones or it'll fail and i've had it happen i've mm -hmm. had a, a swacker fail when it hit a, a large shoulder bone mm -hmm. and these guys still help me try to track the deal they were great but it it gives you there's there's pluses and cons to both and i just i just feel with the way that i hunt and the places that i hunt that that i can i'll trade off that that shot angle mm -hmm. for the perfect broadside recording away for the forgiveness of, of the mechanical. Yeah. Whereas Travis is willing to get that maximum penetration. And it's what I've always used since I started bow hunting. So it's what I feel the most confident in at this point. Um, I mean, I do carry mechanical in my quiver, but I don't think I've ever even knocked it up in my bow to shoot it. I, I just, carry a fix too, just in case there's any, you know, little junk CRP, just stuff yeah, that so you're trying to pop through. And you never touch a mechanical trying to do something like that. Yeah. My wife shoots muzzies with her bow, and uh, it's, it's actually devastating what mm -hmm. she gets. Because my wife is a cold blooded serial killer when it comes to bow hunting. <laughs> she only shoots 42 pounds, and she's 23 and a half inch draw. So she doesn't have a whole lot to work with. She's a small person. So she limits herself inside of 20, actually, most of the time, 15 yards or closer. And so she'll sit there. Yeah, not six. six. <laughs> we don't shoot at six. We don't shoot at six. She'll uh, she'll sit there and she'll watch deer, watch deer, watch deer, and she will wait and wait and wait and wait. And once they're inside her 15 yard ring and they're turned just right, she is a cold blooded killer. Mm -hmm. And uh, she'll she'll put that muzzy exactly where it needs to be. And we've. I mean, Travis has been there with me a couple of times. You were there too when we tracked one of her deers. Her, her deer, I've never had one of her deer go further than probably 45, 50 yards. Mm -hmm. And it's all about shot placement and right. fixed broadhead with that low poundage. Now I talk about how much I practice, practice, practice. She goes out and shoots, what, five arrows? And I'm good. Gosh. And I mean, and her shot placement is great. But yeah. it's like, yeah, she hardly practiced at all. Yeah, the, the trick to my the trick to my wife's uh, accuracy is upsetting her, picking on her because I don't mm -hmm. feel that she's practicing enough. And then she will go out there and show me that she can hit exactly what she's aiming at. Turn around, huff at me, and put the bow down. Mm -hmm. And she's just she's really really good at it. She's really really good at it. She's just one of those people that are just a natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely takes uh, at first just the the basics of you know learning it 
And after that, I think, like you said, it kind of comes just natural to some people. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, some people were athletically gifted, and I think those people are the ones that can really even take it up another notch at bow hunting. Um, uh, whereas, you know, like me, I just practice and practice and practice and practice, and uh, I've gotten definitely better over the years as I've uh, as I've done that, and because I think I went through two D loops. I think the first year I had my bow, I wore those things out. And I think the very following season, I had to have a new string put on because I just, I shot all the time. And, but now it's gotten me to a point now that again, it's just all muscle memory. I don't really have to think about it. Um, but it's been a journey that I definitely can say that I'm very glad that, you know, I've, got involved with these two guys going hunting and um it's it's been fun and i can't wait to the point where my kids are old enough that they can come with their dad and their two uncles and you know take them hunting and you know that's that's what i'm kind of looking forward to um, yeah i'm i'm over 55 and my knees hurt i can't wait for them to come with us too and drag <laughs> their stuff out <laughs> <laughs> Inspect the elders, drag the deer for me. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, over 55. Yeah, I wish I was that young again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's high miles, man. It's high miles. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, I've only shot a muzzy broadhead. I haven't shot anything else but muzzies. I started with a four-blade, now I'm, I'm down to a hundred grain three blade, but that's all I shoot. Um, I do have another set of mechanicals when i was going to try and use my what i use for um, target shooting but uh um when i needed a new string on my hunting bow and didn't have it but i didn't didn't end up using it anyway but uh yeah we had a podcast here i think a couple times ago the whole the whole podcast was about broadheads it was from a um, a mechanical broadhead manufacturer um mm. you know look at it thorn was the, the name of it and you know, we talked about, you know, mechanicals and fixed blades and they have, they actually have a fixed blade that looks very nasty. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Uh, you, you know, the old, the old spiked maces, you know, had all the, the spikes sticking out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what their broadhead looks like. Their fixed blade. There's like four blades and they're spiraling around, you know, getting bigger as they go down. And like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would be a devastating uh, hole that one would make. Yeah. I know the, the holes from um, my wife's muzzies on her deer, they're a little bit smaller than a golf ball. And I'm, I'm always amazed that the, with the pounders that she's shooting and that setup, that it, it ends up with a wound that big. It's just like a water hose coming out of the deer. Right. And this is the, the, the blades are placed perfectly so the tissue pulls away from the wound instead of closing up. Now, is she shooting a four blade or three blade? Shooting a uh, four blade. Shooting four, four blade. blade. Mm -hmm. I think tri a tricor, I think. No? Yeah, that's the tip. Yeah. It is yeah. a very yeah. tough tip. Oh, yeah. It's hard and steel. I've, I've actually stuck one in a concrete block. Oh, my gosh. I still use the broadhead. It didn't hurt the broadhead at all. It cracked wow. the insert in, in half, and it cracked the shaft back about an inch, and that was it. I, I took it off, cut the shaft down, put a new tip in it for my kid. 
because I didn't hurt anything after about an inch and a half. So I caught up a couple of inches and long enough for my kid when he was only like eight years old. And he's not shooting any high poundage. But it, the, the broadhead was stuck in the concrete black. I went up and pulled the broadhead out. Didn't even, didn't even flatten the tip. Man, it's a blast right to a, a rib, no problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, ribs, bones. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, um, before I knew I was supposed to shoot a lot shorter, I was shooting a little bit longer than what I should be shooting. I didn't know at the time, and I caught my sleeve with a string, and it threw the arrow off. Well, I hit it in the back hip, shattered the thigh bone, mm. and, and it, it didn't go very far because, you know, I shattered the bone. and. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I got the deer, but, you know, that it just shattered the, the bone. Mm -hmm. It's like it was nothing there. And when I cleaned it, it was like, it wasn't, and not just break it, cut it through itch. It was like a big piece, of, two big pieces and a small chunk out of it. And then small little fragments in there. Mm -hmm. And you can see right where the tip of that, that point hit that bone. And you could still see that three-sided point from that tricord tip. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They're they're a tough broadhead. Yeah, well, they they do a great job on the deer she shoots for them. But um, yeah, like I said, she doesn't she doesn't shoot them past about fifteen yards. And she's lethal inside that ring. But um, I mean, how how far out do you practice? Because before I sold my, I just moved and had to spend a year in a subdivision, and it was very difficult because uh, I couldn't practice with my bow very much. Right. Uh, I used to have a set up. On the place that we sold, I'd, I'm, I would go anywhere from 10 all the way out to 50, and I had block targets and 3D and all that set up. How far do you shoot out uh, practicing for where you guys are at in uh, Nebraska? Uh, well, it how depends on how. Uh, we have an outdoor range that you can go up to 60 yards, no problem. Um, mm -hmm. My problem is I can't see the target that well that far away. So <laughs> I don't take the long shots because I can't see. <laughs> You know, as, as you start getting older, you've got a little bit of a cataract forming on your eyes. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the, the right one's just blurry enough that, you know, those long ranges, I can't mm -hmm. see the target well enough. So mm -hmm. I just don't take them longer ones anymore. But uh, I, I just, you know, in my yard, I can go back easily 20 yards. I don't like to go too much further than that because there are houses around. So I'm shooting banks mm -hmm. inside of my, my garage and there is yeah. houses over there. So I don't like to go back too far, but I could go back um probably well probably 6 or 80 yards but now then we're getting that long distance and now it's it's you know not quite the safest place so i generally go about 20 yards all i practice in my yard but i can go up to one of the outdoor ranges there's several of them around here that i can go to and 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 practice the longer ranges outside that's that's what yeah. i had to do this uh this year is cuz i was living in a subdivision i had to stay around 20 25 yards to practice and I felt really restricted because I used to regularly shoot at 40 and 50 yards. And shooting at right. those is when you go to go to the woods and you shoot at something at you know 18 to 20 yards, it feels like a slam dunk. Right. Because you're focused so much on your form and your release and your grip and everything when you're shooting at those distances that that when you shoot that 20-yard shot, you, you got the same habits, same muscle memory, the same release, and it's just it's, it's just a slam dunk. And I was really, really worried about that this fall because I haven't had the opportunity to shoot those distances. I was shooting at 20, 25 right. yards. Well, last time I'd practice at 20 yards and go to 30 and then go to 40 
and then go back up to 20 and I, I'd, I'd start destroying arrows, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you're grouping really tight. You go back yeah. further, you're still grouping just as tight. You go back further and you're still grouping just as tight. And then you go up and yeah, I quit shooting one spots because I wrecked too many arrows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was me. I, I would go out in my, my backyard and shoot off my deck. I'd put one arrow in each target and then go pull them, put one arrow in each target. And then, uh, then when we were hunting in the mountains, I I incorporated archery into my fitness plan and I would do, uh, put a pack on with 20 pounds in it and I'd shoot my arrows, go get my arrows, come back up the hill with the pack on and I'd stop, do the push-ups, put my feet under the steps, do my setups then go up and shoot my arrows again with my heart rate up and my breathing elevated. And that was a great training regime for getting ready for bowing. Oh, yeah. The deer comes out. First of all, it gets you in shape. It helps get in the woods and get out of the woods. But when your heart rate gets escalated and your breathing is escalated because you're excited, it helps you control that and, and execute the shot because, you know, you feel your lungs burning while you're trying to hold that breath. <laughs> that breathing slowed down. That was that was a really good training regime for when we were hunting in the mountains. Yeah, because you're you're walking. You may you may come up on one and uh, you know here it is, and you stop and have to, to load your arrow and draw back and shoot. And mm-hmm. So you got to be ready for that. Yeah, it's uh like like you said uh, even just staying in shape and um, is, is another aspect of, because at least when we would hunt, um, like you said, in the mountains or when, when we go out to Missouri, we're, except for a few times, I'll just hunt the parking lot, but there's times I even, you know, I'll, I'll go further back and go in and all this. And, uh, and if you're doing, you know, a morning hunt, you're hiking in, sitting for a while hiking back out you know we'll go get something to eat or whatever and you're hiking back in again and hiking back out again um and then when we're in missouri we're there for between seven to ten days and you're doing this it's going to wear on your body right you don't stay in shape you know also on top of that uh it just doesn't make it as fun either yeah because you're just like man i gotta walk all the way back out there again you just feel it especially by that about day six you're just like (laughs) so if you make yourself miserable during the summer leading up fall Mm -hmm. like what i did this year planning for my hunt way back in the mountains where there weren't any people and the deer walked up to me uh at work Mm -hmm. before i'd get off work i'd throw on my weighted vest and hit hit the uh, incline treadmill and i knew that i was going to have a certain amount of elevation change and I knew I was about a mile and a quarter in from where I was going to get out of the car. So I started off with like a 20 pound weighted vest and started you know, working my way up and I got to where I was at 42 pound vest and I was going one and a quarter miles at the elevation change that I needed to get to the spot. So when I killed my deer this fall and I had to pack it out, it wasn't miserable. You know, I mean, it was work. Right. I conditioned for it all summer long going into the fall. You know, I didn't realize that the pack was 92 pounds. I didn't know what it really weighed. I'd been training with 42. So I grabbed it up and when I picked it up, I was like, oh, it's a little heavier than the you know, vest fills. I was thinking it's probably maybe 60 pounds. Slap it on. 
start hiking out of there, cross a creek, go a little further, get to another creek, sit the pack down, wash my hands off, look at the pack. It's a lot of meat. Put the pack on, hike out, go to the processor, and I say, hey, could you weigh this? He puts it on the hook, and it's 92 pounds, and I'm like, holy cow. My 55-year-old <laughs> butt just pumped out 92 pounds worth of stuff in a pack out of the mountains, and I didn't die. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that says that, a lot for staying in shape. <laughs> yeah, that conditioning through the summer paid for itself because if I hadn't have done that, I don't even know if I could. I don't even know if I could. Right. Don't even know if I could have carried it out. I may have made multiple trips to get it out, but uh, you know, considering that's the area that I've moved to, that's something I'm going to have to make my daily regime is you know walking walking the driveway to and from the house or just hitting that treadmill every other day with a weighted vest to stay in shape enough. So I can still go back in there and hunt like that. I mean, I know I know any of the guys that are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast from out west and the Rockies are laughing at me right now because they're like, ah, we walked in 14 miles. What is he talking about? Well, here on the East Coast, we don't do that that much. <laughs> yeah, your mile and a half was a task for you. Yeah, it's a task for us. Yeah, we got humidity. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll give you some of that humidity if you want it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come there and walk that mile and a half. It's like walking 15 miles with no humidity. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a year-round thing that um, people will have to also take into account. You know, if you step into this arena of bow hunting deer or you know, whatever it is that you might want to hunt, or even just rifle hunting or any type of hunting, it's a year-round thing. It's yeah, not just in, you know, it's just not during the fall. Um, now, is that an important time very much so as ken alluded to during his <laughs> toast at my wedding because he was my best man uh making sure that my wife knew from september to january that that's hunting season there so that's it that's hunting season he's gonna be gone yeah and uh so my wife, you know, she's very understanding. Um, she's been very supportive. Uh, and as you, as I said to you earlier, you know, she's gotten a bow now and you know, she's wanting to get out there and learn. And, and so I'm excited just to get her started and really get her technique now and teaching her. And, and then same thing with my kids, you know, as they get older and teaching them and, uh, so it, it's, it, it comes back full circle again, you know, from when I first started to now I'm teaching somebody, you know, as Ken, you know, said earlier, you know, he passed it on down to Brad and I, now, you know, we're going to pass it down to, well, my wife and our, he has a, a child and I got two and, you know, we're going to pass it down to them. And, um, so I am very, very happy that I got into Beaumont. I never thought I would, uh, but I'm glad that I did. It's it, it's changed me in a way that it's made me appreciate the woods even more and appreciate, right. you know, harvesting uh, a deer and, and being able to take that home and, you know, feed my family with it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and then sometimes, which we hadn't done in a while, just because now we kind of live so far apart, but there's times that the three of us would just get together and shoot our bows. Mm -hmm. You know, we go out and yeah. scout 
for a little while and then we get back to the house and shoot our bows for maybe an hour and you know and practice and sometimes we make a game out of it you know uh so that's what's made it fun for me um and i can't see not ever doing this it's uh it's become a part of my life i enjoy it so anybody that i can talk to that has an interest in it or you know any type of uh you know seeking or asking i've had quite a few people ask me about it and and you know a lot of them are like where do i start so i try to you know kind of what ken had told me just go put some bows in your hand see what feels comfortable right. you know uh if you go to certain places they'll probably even let you shoot it and that way you kind of have an idea how does it feel what's the reaction of it what's your reaction to it you know i know first time that you set up my bow and i shot i was like man this is freaking cool <laughs> and that's what's so so nice about setting up a new one for somebody is is that's like oh this is cool i like this and (laughs) And at that point i knew he was doomed (laughs) right right that's you know they're they're hooked and 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 they're going to be shooting for quite a while and you know there's no real age limit you know whether you're five or 95 you can still shoot and Mm -hmm. you know as long as you got a bow you can pull back you can shoot and I seen a, a guy who was 95 was still competing. Oh, gosh. That's cool. it was I seen some arrows that he shot in the tournament and you know been doing it a long time. So but speaking of a long time, we've actually been talking for a couple hours here. So oh, uh, <laughs> we, we yeah. said we could talk about this all day, but we do need to kind of cut it short, you know. But um, <laughs> well, I guess it's not short, but I mean <laughs> We'll, so, do, we'll do part two, three, four, five. Yeah, we, we could do more. So let's go through and uh, any parting thoughts for anybody listening or, or watching this? Uh, well, for me, I'll say that uh, archery in general, like Travis says, has changed who I am. It's changed the way uh, I, I look at things and how I deal with stuff. It's made it as far as bow hunting goes, it's made it impossible for me to drive down the road and not look at a cornfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, have to, I have to look at a corn or a soybean field. It's, it's just intuitive. I can't stop myself. Um, and it's, it's therapeutic. There's something about getting out there in the morning before everybody's up stirring and just slinging a few arrows, you know, with no distractions or anything. It's like a, it's like a moment of zen. And uh, any archer out there is going to know what I'm talking about. There, there is that time on the shot, that that rare shot that we all are trying to achieve. That as soon as it leaves the string, you know that the arrow is hitting exactly where you want it to go, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. And that feeling is what keeps you going and shooting and, and trying to do it again, and trying to mm-hmm. do it again. And, it, and it's like it's like that hole in one and bell off, you know. You're, you're striving for it. It's rare, but it, it happens. And you sit there and you strive for it over and over. And I mean, I think archery's changed who I am. I'm, I'm I am a I am a bow hunter that does all the other things that are in my life. I'm a bow hunter first. <laughs> for me, it's the the piece getting out of the woods, unplugging for a little bit, and that that finish line that keeps moving just a little bit further out of grasp. So the, the never ending challenge is, is what my appeal is. Mm-hmm. 
That's the same thing. Um, again, you know, from the start of the journey to now, um, just being out there and something that I've done uh, over the last year to even help me improve my, my accuracy with shooting is, you know, because kind of like how Ken's, like he said that he had at his um, old house, my house is kind of, I'm lucky enough where I got targets all over my yard. And, but I've made it to now where I've even like painted little orange circles or squares. Like I'll tape out a little area and just spray paint it orange. And I know exactly that's where I want to hit. And it just brings, because when you're shooting at a target or see a bag, you, you know, when you're first starting, you're like, I just want to hit the bag. And now right. you're taking it and you just like, zoned it down and made it even smaller so kind of like this year i think that's why i was i felt like i just put the shot placement exactly where i wanted to and it was just you know to me it was just practice and practice and practice and um that was something that i've seen a few other people do where they'll just make a, a small mark and I know Ken used to put labels, round <laughs> labels on a target, and he would hit the label. I mean, about the size of a half dollar, weren't they? Yeah, they were about like, a quarter. Yeah. And he was hitting those. Well, I didn't have labels, so I just used spray paint, and I just would make a small uh, spot, you know, whether it was on my 3D target or just, you know, your bag targets or whatever, and just keep practicing hitting those. And I found that has improved my shot you know placement um tremendously and i would suggest to anybody that you know wants to take it to you know uh, a different way of training or add something to that repertoire you know how they train you know do something like that because uh, it definitely helped me um and as for the rest i i love it i, I can't say that enough i love bow hunting i love being out there and, um, and i had to love it if i went the first five years i never shot anything <laughs> so <laughs> you have to be dedicated and and uh it's paid off mm -hmm. and uh and i can't see living without it so before we get going owm hunting at facebook owm uh hunting hunting at uh, YouTube and Instagram and Instagram. Yeah, we're out there. Not a huge presence, but we're out there. And we're posting stuff, like you said, we post stuff year round. Mm -hmm. um, this past year, we had new shirts printed, new stickers, because uh, it was our 10 year anniversary that we've all been hunting together. So we sold out of all of our t shirts, the first batch of t shirts that I gotten in I, those are all gone already and so we wanted to throw out there if there's a big enough interest of people wanting t-shirts i'll do another order again still got plenty of stickers but i think i went overboard on the stickers <laughs> i just went ahead and got a bunch of those so uh actually if you email us your address we'll ship you a sticker <laughs> okay i could do that yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in the description uh, for the uh, uh, podcast uh, okay. of how to contact you. And then uh, I'll also put it in the description when I upload to YouTube. 
Okay. And then uh, anybody in the Arch Talk One on One group, they can just message you because um, your 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 link will be right in there with that. You know how okay. to contact you, and okay. yeah, feel free to upload the the videos to the group too. I'm sure they'd be interested in those too if you want. Um, so I, I'd like you, to thank. Did you discover us off of Facebook? Is that how you found us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'd like to thank you guys for being on the show. We went a little bit longer than I normally do, but it's been so interesting. I could even go longer, but we do need to kind of cut it a little bit, a little bit uh, shorter here. Uh, once again, my name is Roy Canterbury and I've been your host today on Arch Talk 101.